welcome to Christian Life Church podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Amongst us, um, we're going to pick a conversation we've been having for a couple of weeks, and uh, I, I kind of got the phrase. I think a little bit towards the tail end of last year, um, I was reading something in the scriptures, and suddenly I, I realized that the culture in which we live, primarily and and probably maybe superficially is looking for and always seeking for, as an individual in that culture, we're looking for what we would consider to be the advantage. And whether that's purchasing a house or finding a partner or whatever it is, a job, we're looking. And in fact, many of us believe that we should have that advantage because we are followers of Jesus Christ. I'll come to that in a little bit. So the world around us has trained us and conditioned us to believing certain truths about what that advantage would look like. And um, without wanting to go back over sermons that we've um, over the last few weeks, I just want to let you know that I have discovered that what I think makes a person great or indeed gives a person the edge is not necessarily the things that I first imagined it would. Ecclesiastes tells us that the race is not to the swift or to the strong. In other words, what appears to give people the advantage, actually many, many times as you look a little bit deeper into that, actually may afford them a disadvantage. And so we started our adventure at looking at the whole concept of what it would look like for us as believers to understand that though we may feel disadvantaged, and sometimes I think we do, would you say that's fair? Our disadvantage is to our advantage when it's submitted to and offered to God. I think David and Goliath is a perfect example of how somebody seemingly disadvantaged can take the advantage of a situation. And we looked at that. Last week we looked at the subject matter that I think for many of us was hard. I found it hard. I found it difficult to, to say it. I find it hard, harder to live it. And it would seem to us that we have discovered through the eyes of Jesus that actually one of the things that gives us hope and indeed a sense of expectation in our lives is that in the Beatitudes we realize that what the world considers to be a disadvantage and maybe society and culture at large in the kingdom of God, in God's economy and for God's agenda is indeed the advantage. The Beatitudes start with this, blessed are the poor in spirit. There is not a person in this room that's gone on a course recently to learn how to be poor in spirit. I guarantee you it's not a popular course. There's no one expecting God at any point in any way to bring them to that place of reality. In fact, the truth is of our human condition, we do everything in our power to avoid weakness. Everything we can, we will do. It's counterintuitive to us to submit to the frailties of our human condition. And what the Bible invites us to is to explore the world from God's upside-down perspective. You know, in the kingdom of heaven, everything is the opposite to how it is here on earth. The Bible says to us, you know, when you are weak... <laughs> 
You really are strong. Why are you strong when you are weak? Because in your weakness, you move away from the one thing that for all of us we treasure, and that's self-reliance. No longer will self-reliance be sufficient to attain the outcome that you desire. When you are weak, in your weakness, which is submitted to his greatness, he, in his greatness, will make you strong. His strength is made perfect in the midst of our weakness. Now, let's pause for a moment because we can all amen and nod heads. But the truth is, if that is the truth, then surely I need to stop despising my weakness. I need to start embracing my weakness. Hello? If that's true, if his strength is made perfect in my weakness, notice it doesn't say his strength is made perfect in my strength. My weakness is to my advantage. My weakness provides for me an opportunity to experience his greatness. My weakness is not something, not my sin, that's a different thing. My weakness is not something that I should circumvent, avoid, hide, or even protest it doesn't exist in my life. I should stand in the reality that before God, before God, in comparison to his greatness, all I have to bring, all I have to offer is weakness. I'm just a frail human being in this world trying to make sense of some things that perhaps this side of heaven never truly will fully immerse as being logical or indeed spiritual. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who've given up on self. Blessed are those who are stopping their pretenses that they are better than they are. Blessed are those who are caving in to grace and allowing grace to redefine their reality. Blessed are those who've come to the end of themselves and their only option is God. For theirs, for theirs, what, this is what belongs to those people. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The way into the fullness of the kingdom of heaven is not praying harder, trying harder, serving more, and striving for excellence. The way into the kingdom of the heavens is to submit to the reality that if it were not for grace and for mercy, you have nothing. 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 You have nothing. There's no thing in you that could accomplish what God has invited you to. It's not by might, nor by power, but by His Spirit. And He who began that work of the Spirit in you will carry on until it's complete. One day, you will look like Jesus. That is the great thing that we desire more than anything, that somehow His wonder-working power in us would make us more like Jesus. But that power is fashioned in you in your weakness. It cannot be fashioned in you in your so-called strength. Your weakness is heaven's sweetness. And as you come to God and you acknowledge your need of Him, in fact, I would like to suggest that this is not just about the day we became Christians. It's not just about the day that we got saved. This should be the posture of heart Every moment of every day, for without him, you can't even be a good human being. Now, I know it's counterintuitive because in our world right now, we're taught and we're trained by society and culture that you can be anything you want to be. 
And trust me, how is that going for you? That must be very exhausting. You can't be anything you want to be. You can't redefine a future for yourself, the plan of God. Certainly not as a follower of Jesus. It's his plan to prosper and to bless you. And the way into that plan is to stay consistently and persistently in that posture of recognizing. Unless the Lord builds this house Unless grace is afforded to me today, unless mercy redefines my reality, everything I do is just vanity. It's just human effort. And I can't become who I am called or created to become by human effort. Because if I could, Jesus would not have needed to die. It's only by grace I can enter into that adventure. Only by grace. I want to stay attached. Attached and conditioned and positioned by mercy and grace every moment of every day in every circumstance of my life. Blessed, blessed, blessed are those who get that. In fact, all of the Beatitudes hinge on that particular thought. They all come, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. If you are not and cannot find a space and place in your life where you recognize your spiritual poverty before God and your need for mercy and grace, then you're not living in the fullness of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Your life is defined by your human effort and indeed attempts. Thank you, Jesus, that you're at work in us. Thank you, Jesus, that you do, not, you do not lift your hand from our lives when we struggle. Thank you, Jesus, whenever we're trying to make something happen in our own strength, we are failing to understand that it's you who began a good work in us. And indeed, it will be you who brings it to completion. You see, the problem with the church is we sing that Christ is enough, but we don't live like that's true. We sing that Jesus has completed it all, but we walk and we live and we strive like we have something to add. The problem with the church is that we have a theology in our music that isn't a reality in our lives. And it's not until the people of God submit to this great truth that all we are called to do is offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. The rest is a work of God that we will never see the fullness of God's plan for our lives. And I encourage you to be pondering and praying and considering, asking the Spirit, if you like, what does it really mean for me to be poor in spirit? Now, can I just say about that one thing that's important? Staying poor in spirit is not you having the occupation with your sin. Has anybody ever been a little bit preoccupied with their sin? Did you ever go down that dark, weary tunnel and come out blessed? I love the phrase that people use in the world, I'm going to find myself. I think, no. Because when you really find yourself, you will be horrified. You will be horrified by what you actually discover. What we're really wanting to say is, I need my life to be redefined by the reality of God. Ever gone introspective in your spirituality? Ever gone to the place where you're beating yourself up over all that you're not? Did that make you love Jesus more? You see, the devil hijacks any attempt of introspection. Because introspection will always draw you to your sin. It will always draw you to brokenness. It will always draw you to that which lacks. And it's not that we can't visit that or shouldn't visit that from time to time. But we cannot and should never live there. Because Jesus said, regarding all of that, 
it is finished. So if it's finished, why am I in partnership with it? No, being poor in spirit is adopting a posture of need before God and saying, let mercy form and redefine a new reality for me. And I think that comes into play in just being human. I know all of us want to do great things for God, but one of the greatest things you could do for God is live in relationship with Him today. You know, I know you want to change the world, but God wants to change your world. I know you think you've got great exploits to have, but there's a greater exploit. It's the internal one of coming into submission and surrender to the reality of the one who is perfect. I know all of us want to ignore that truth, but the truth is I can only give what I have been given. I have a need to receive before I can ever truly perceive what God is calling me to. So your disadvantage, according to the economy of the world, seems to be of a high advantage to the purposes of God. A number of years ago, I was standing with a, a leader in, in a church context, and they said this to me, you know, they said, you know, I find it really difficult to believe God for good things. I said, wow, that must be painful, that must be difficult, because as the pastor, really, you know, that's your job. <laughs> you know, if there was a job description, that, that's it. You, you're meant to call people into greatness and draw people into fullness and invite people into favor. Amen? Isn't that what a pastor should do? Come on, speak to me. I can go home and be ignored. Isn't that what a pastor should do? Okay. And I realized that this man's heart had been defined by disappointment. This man's heart had been restricted by a lack of breakthrough in the things that he'd seen. And consequently, every time he stood on a platform to speak of the greatness of God, he was not living it himself. He had long since forgotten just how powerful God could be, even in the midst of his need. And he said, you know, I'm looking forward to the day when we have enough money in the church bank account. I'm looking forward to the day whenever we can hire whoever we need to do the work. And I thought the problem is not that. You see, if I stand on a platform and I speak to you of measles, but I'm infected with mumps, what will you catch? Mumps, because that's what I'm infected with. You see, when we make the journey about external things and not internal things, we by default give power to an environment that has no power really, and it is empowered. It will never do for us what Christ alone can define in us. No other person can write the story of my life. No other person can show me what that is. I need to let God put his finger on and write for himself the story and the narrative that he longs to produce. As long as I'm giving away to external things and, and blaming contexts, there is no context I'm going to preach now. No context on this earth where God cannot move in power. I don't care what people tell you. I'm not interested in the defaults that we run to. Your life is not defined by context. Your life is defined by Christ in me, the hope of glory in my heart. The world will tell you it's not possible. 
But God will say, all things become possible to those who believe in me. And as I believe in him and prioritize that over how I feel or what people say, God rewrites the story of my life. And it's got nothing to do with what people perceive to be real. It's got everything to do with what God says is the reality about me and him. He is the author and the perfecter of my faith. So I looked at this young man, you know, he spent more time on a golf course than he did in the church. And you know, as a, a local pastor and a leader to some people at that time, I had to say, you know, you need to rethink some things. He said, what do you mean? Can't you give me a check to help me? No, but I will give you a check to help you of a different nature. Go home, shut the door, and you stay with Jesus until you have your breakthrough. And what I mean by that is these things that have conditioned your soul to carry disappointment until that is gone from you, do not stand on a platform and tell other people about hope. Talk on money, talk anything you like, but do not talk about hope because you don't have it. Well, I'd love to tell you that he thanked me. He had two words to say to me. The second one was off. Don't worry, it wasn't a swear word. I think he said to me, I said, well, you're very welcome. Thank you. You know, a year or so later, I saw him again. And this is what he said to me. He came running up to me in a meeting. He said, thank you so much for telling me the truth. I said, you know, the problem with me is I can't help myself. <laughs> I just do that. It gets me into trouble, you know. Do you know people want truth until truth hurts? And sometimes truth does hurt, doesn't it? And who's the last person to know that we're deceived? You and me. Sometimes you need someone to come in with fresh eyes. Well, from that moment on, I began to track his progress as a leader. And he went on to be quite exceptional and still is in the things that God has done for him. You and I are always giving authority and power to the external. But God is more interested, not what he can do through you. God is interested in what he's doing in you. What he's doing in you is the source of all that he wants to do through you. And you can't jump that stage. You have to allow him to define that for you. And I want to tell you, often it comes through hardship. It comes through trouble. It comes through difficulties. You know, we would like God just to bless us into the, the fullness. You know, if you were to arrive in your fullest blessing today, you would backslide. If you were to come into your fullness by next week, you would give up on Jesus. Why? Because you would fool yourself, as all people do, that somehow that had something to do with you. It's one thing to seek blessing. It's a whole other thing to sustain it. And it's very difficult for us to sustain blessing because the human heart is full of ego. We actually think it is us that created that opportunity in the first place. No, 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 no. That's why it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who stay in a consistent place of need before God. For theirs, and theirs alone actually, is the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of God? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Come with me today for the last few moments we have. We should be finished now, shouldn't we? Oh, goodbye then. God bless you. <laughs> We should be finished now. I didn't realize the time. I won't hold you longer. I just want to tell you, there's a story in the New Testament. It comes out of Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 22. Please read it. Um, the story is of a man 
who they refer to as the rich young ruler. Now, just to stop with this, if there was ever someone who looked like they had the advantage, I mean, it's got to be him. Let's start with rich. Wouldn't that be nice? Yes? Resources, things that are available, choices that can be made. Gosh. To add insult to injury, he's young. <laughs> he's not just rich, he's young. I think it was Noel Coward who penned these words, youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? And also he has an authority. He has power. Aren't they really the dream life? Rich? Come on, stop. I've heard your prayers. I know what you're praying for. <laughs> Everyone in this room thinks if they had a few more bob, life would be better. Come on, tell the truth. And some of you are down to your last million and you're whinging before Jesus. A few more bob, things would be easier. I could make some choices. I could do some things with my life. It's not true. Rich. Nothing wrong with being rich. Young. Well, as you get older, being young seems way more attractive at this age than it did at that age. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, I look at myself in the mirror and I think, what happened? You must have eaten all the cakes in every environment you've ever been in. It's hard for you to believe, but I was exceptionally good looking once. Please stop laughing. That's not fair. Ray, that's just not fair. Exceptionally good looking. I was considered a hot tomato. I mean, I was a legend in my own head, and all of that is to be given, but you look at me, I think, who is that fat middle-aged? Oh, it's me, it's me, it's me. Young. Who wouldn't want to be young? what I'm entitled to. So Lord, I want to move away from any presumptions around that for everything I have is a gift. Everything you've done is because you are good and everything that's coming, Lord God, is because you can't resist the temptation to finish what you start. Lord, if faith being left unchecked has left me with any sense of entitlement and it's an epidemic in this world, everybody thinks they have the right to everything. God, I pray that you would help your church be an example to our community of what it looks like to carry this exceptional desire for gratefulness and thankfulness because we are the benefactors of indeed your kindness. Lord, bless us now as we step into our week. May some of these things that we're thinking about together and journeying through become realities for us, Lord. May the disadvantaged see the advantage they have this week, Father. May our eyes be open to those truths. And may those who think their advantage come to terms with their clear disadvantage, and that is that they don't need God enough to require him to do a work in them. Lord Jesus, sort it out, I pray, in your precious name. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a good week.